welcome into the Leadership Legacy Podcast, where we interview influential leaders who learn the why and how they turn their passions into progress that set them on the path to leaving their legacy. Welcome to the Leadership Legacy Show. This is episode number 22. I have the distinct honor of sitting with Jeffrey Jeff J. Whitaker Jr. in your home. Thank you for having me, man. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation so far, and man, I'm just excited to, to hear more from you, man. Yes, uh, man. Appreciate it, Tony. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege, you know, to be on it. It's awesome that you, that you chose me. Man. I don't know why, but I appreciate it. Man, just, <laughs> just watching you live out your life and and hearing some of your backstory uh, yesterday and then today as well is just a validation of somebody that listens to my podcast and needs to hear your story. Mm. I'm excited uh, just to just to hear maybe next week when it goes live, you know, somebody listens to it, or maybe it's ten years down the road. There may be somebody ten years from now that hears your story that's struggling right now, mm. but doesn't hear it for ten years. And it's like, man, Jeff. Was going through that, you know. Um, so I think it's I think it's important to capture stories and to capture lies and experiences, so that we can share them with other people for hope and inspiration and uh, you know just to keep going because there's so much there's so much sadness and and despair in the world right now. A lot of you know mental health issues. You know people are depressed and for various different reasons, and we just got to put as much hope out there as we can. You know. Yeah. Like I said, I, I appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you inviting me into your home. And, oh, for sure. Um, for those who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Where'd you grow up? Tell us a little <coughs> bit about childhood. Um, from Macon, Georgia, man, the great state of Georgia. I, I know that. I don't know how good that is to say that in the state of Alabama. I uh, love Alabama, <clears throat> but my home is Georgia, in Macon. Um, so I grew up in Macon, Georgia. It was me, my mother, and my older brother. My okay. older brother, my older brother Lorenzo Brown, my mother Gwendolyn Brown. My older brother is six years older than me. It's like the older I get, the older he hate me telling his age. <laughs> I think my brother and sister are like that. I'm six years older than my sister. Really? I'm four years older than my brother. I mean, I'm, I'm the oldest. I'm the baby boy. So of course. You and my brother probably have a lot of a lot in common of saying I didn't have it that hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The oldest, oh yeah, no, the, no, the baby man. gets everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, we was all poor, man. Like, no, nah, man, you didn't have to go to it, you know, like me. <laughs> well, so and my mother, Gwendolyn Brown, we all grew up in, in Macon, Georgia, and. Came from a very strong faith. My mom was real big in the faith. I say radical religious. I say, you know, the joke I say with that, I said, we 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 grew up in that radical Baptist slash Pentecostal. I said, that meant everybody was going to hell but us, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just that oh, yeah. real radical, <laughs> uh-huh. you know. We wouldn't, it wasn't people in there uh, letting snakes bite them, you know what I mean? <laughs> it wasn't that radical. But it was a real, real raw and just a, Deep South Baptist Pentecostal type setting, but my mom she was big in faith, uh, and we we experienced tremendous you know struggles 
by the time I came on the scene, like my brother remember, you know, being in maybe a home or apartment, uh, things was going right. When I started to remember, you know, from the age of maybe five, six, I remember more of winter house, eviction, you know, happy times and moments, but like lights off and just a lot of crazy stuff that was going on. We, we, we grew up with tremendous struggles, but we always had love. My, my mom did a great way of hiding it. But when I was 12 years old, my mother started to, uh, started to lose weight and she started to lose her hair. My mother started wearing wigs. So I was like, mom, mom wearing wigs, she look good, but mm -hmm. this is new. <clears throat> and she started to, you just see her strength just start to deteriorate. And one day she said she wanted to go to, um, she wanted to go to the hospital. And um, two months after that hospital visit or so, she passed of cancer. And I was, she passed of cancer March 8th, 2005. We buried her March 16th. Her birthday is the 19th of March. Mine is the 20th. Um, when I turned 13, it was real, it was tough because I had a moment when I came in the house and I was, I had a good day at school and I was coming home and I was screaming mom while I was walking through the house, like to tell mama about my good day. And I remember collapsing in the floor and realizing that that's over. From me collapsing in the floor and from me getting back up from that floor, nobody wasn't around. It was just me in this house by myself. I remember having a sense of anger getting up off that floor, an embarrassment like getting up off that floor. I made a vow that I wasn't gonna trust nobody. I wasn't really gonna trust nobody. Cause I saw that last year, my mother <clears throat> struggled. Cause my brother, my older brother had moved with his, with his biological father. And uh, <clears throat> I just saw my mom struggle. So I literally felt like it was us against the world. The first time I saw people around was at the funeral, in the hospital visits. But it was just like tremendous struggles. And I didn't, I didn't trust anybody. And I started to have suicidal thoughts. Like, was I was gonna jump off of something? Or was I gonna put a gun to my head? And I said a, 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 a variety of prayers. And four months later, I said yes to football for the first time. Padded, organized football. And when I went out for football, I was just like, yo, listen, I think it's, I love Brett Favre and the Packers, but, you know, they got me stepping over bags. They got, I don't know. Listen, I think football is not as fun as I thought football was. And I'm just out here because the coach asked me to come out here, but he don't know. I'm going to quit. And I'm going to nicely give him these pads back. And then we was in the, you know, like the Oklahoma drill. But instead of Oklahoma drill, it was just one-on-one -on -one head up, you against the other person. And I remember just like looking at everybody, why everybody circling around me, why everybody saying, let's go and let's get it. And I remember, because I remember I tried out football maybe like four years prior, like maybe when I was like eight or nine. And they put me on some shoulder pads and I hit a couple of people. I, they said I did good, but my mom was like, you're not playing no football, you know what I mean? So... Here I am at 13, these people sucking around me and they up there yelling and all this stuff. The guy gets the dude named Otis. He gets the ball home. 
and he runs me over. Still at that point, it is what it is. In my mind, oh, he can't he can't beat me one on one in a fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when he run me over, I'm just kind of like just sitting there, like I get up, dust off, kind of. I see the the only problem I had with that, I saw the praise the oldest got for running me over, and the pride came out. Like okay, he ain't. He ain't this good, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like he ain't that good, you know, like you patting him on his back like that. So I said, let's go again. And we would again, boom, connected, tackled. Let's go again. And then it's just that now the anger going to start to come out. And now mm-hmm. people pat me on the helmet. And I was like, you know what? I'm good at this. I know I could be good at this. It will go from there. And so I went to Northeast High School in Macon. I was at Appling Middle School. I went to Northeast High School in Macon. I started. It was me. It was only two freshmen that started on the varsity. I was actually the right tackle. Started that. Then I went to um, Warner Robins. I transferred and went to Warner Robins. Because we was, me and my brother, we was kind of, I had been with my brother. When my mom passed, I was with my grandmother, who, was, who still had some issues that she was working out with drugs. Then I went from my grandmother to my brother and his older sister who's my older who is my older sister, I call my old Sheena. So me, Sheena and Nard, we was all together. And then I went with my cousin Quintez and also now I, I go from doing for a year introduced to football. And then after that I'm back I went from there back to my brother and then from my brother to Warner Robbins down in Warner Robins with my aunt. And because she had made a call, uh, I had called her to come and spend the night. And she went in this all-out fest of me, I should stay. And I was like, stay in Warner Robins? Now, Warner Robins is, listen, making this 99.8% where I was at side of time, I was at black. Man, Warner Robins, you had Asian, Hispanic, white, uh, you had all that. And I'm like, listen, that's another world down there, like, I'm good. I'm I'm cool in my world. You know, I might have to duck a couple of times because some shots fired and, and might have to fight a little bit more, but this is my world. I just want to come down here for a weekend. And um, she was off. She was bragging what I could have. She said, you got your own room and your own bed. I said, hold up, time out. Because my mother's biggest dream, my mother's biggest dream, um, because we used to talk in that year span when it was just me and her, and at the end of that year, it was my grandmother, people that came in to live with us. But when it was just me and her, um, she just wanted a bed for me. That because I shared beds with my brother, I was in bunk beds, and then when we got our apartment, I had a bed, but it would break. It would never, it was never stable enough. So it was basically just had a mattress. And and when my aunt offered me that, I was just like thrilled. I was like, two Jeff coming down there. Like, <laughs> coming down there for the weekend? I'm not <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I packed. She thought I was coming for the weekend, but I packed for the whole entire trip because I didn't have a lot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I just packed a few stuff that I had and went down there. And then I, I went out for football to stay out of trouble. Just to stay out of trouble. Like, it's a nice thing that my aunt and uncle, auntie and uncle, so Milton and Cynthia Joseph, bringing me in. But at the same time, it's like, ah, let me on this. Because up in Megan, they tell me I'm going to be the dead in jail because I don't listen to nobody because I got a big attitude problem. So I'm like, you know, and temper problem. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go out 
for football, stay out of trouble. I go out for ball, Warner Robins, they all hyped about, I guess, what I could do. But I don't tell them I'm a right tackle. I tell them I'm a defensive lineman and I'm a tight end. So I go, okay. I go, so I had about two weeks of tight end. I had about two weeks of tight end and uh, they had me running around and I and I caught a ball in practice and somebody hit me. And I was like, no, I don't want this tight end. <laughs> I, don't <be> hit, <laughs> I was like, no, nah, man, you know, Tony G, you know, Tony G catching it and, and he's scoring touchdowns. No, but I, ain't got, I don't think Tony, I haven't seen Tony G get hit like that. You know what I mean? So I was like, man, they can have this, uh, <laughs> they can have this catching the ball thing, you know. Yeah. So I just stuck with deep, defensive line, which I always wanted to play. I always mm-hmm. thought I was pretty good at it. And um, next thing you know, offers start to come in, and you know I get to Auburn. I come to Auburn because I don't even, I don't even. My recruiting process was so different because I was just in search for a father figure. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, it literally to, was to the point. It got like January. I was like, yo. I gotta say what I'm gonna go because I didn't believe in committing early. I did not believe in that. I was mm-hmm. like, man, that's I don't. For one, I'm big on my word, and I don't really like. I feel like I ain't know school that much because I was like, I heard somebody say about Eminem being like a notorious non tour. Like he's mm-hmm. very known for. He's not gonna be going on a lot of tours. That's how I was with visits. Like, eh, I'm good. I yeah. got a camp this weekend. Well, you you want to be a five star? So, oh, what is that? That was like, you know, five stars like the best in the country, and you know, you come to this camp, you know, and you could be a five star. I was like, what well, what I'm gonna get for it? So you could be a five star. I was like, well, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, you ain't gonna give me no check and there like that for it. I'm good, like yeah. you know. I just remember my recruiting process being so different, in the sense of I was just in really in search of a father figure, like who mm-hmm. I was scared because. I was leaving the place that I got comfortable at for three years with my aunt and uncle, and I was so thankful for them. I was like, man, how am I gonna be? Who gonna take care of me? Like, and Tracy Rocker uh, was the guy who, who I believe that if I didn't have him, I probably wouldn't graduate. I probably wouldn't have the mindset to graduate school. I probably would have never looked at school as very important, you know. So if I didn't have him, it would have been a whole different. You know mindset, and so um, so I came to Auburn literally because I felt that I had a father figure at Coach Rocker. Mm-hmm. He meant the world to me. He meant the world to me, and so after making that decision, came here. First two years was amazing for me as an individual, and then we ended up winning the national championship in those first two years. The next three years, I literally was injured. At some point, and missed sometime whether there's a whole season. Uh, seven games difference. I went from 20 straight starts to like, I think I went from 20 straight starts to 20 straight. I was hurt. Then it was like 14. I started off the season and then I got hurt again. So to miss some time. So I went from a guy who never got injured, chased the chase, tried to chase football for a year. It was a lot, just my body went out holding up as well. But it was a lot, it was just my opportunity wasn't there either. So I had some anger about that. And then the last, <clears throat> and then I sold 23, 26 now. So chased the lead from my, until I was like 23, 24, something like that. And then the last few years has been doing kind of a little bit of everything. And kind of had a call of speaking and going in 
and that was paying the bills and trying mm-hmm. to do a little real estate, try to do financials, try to do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had a, a conversation with Coach Mazan about just on an opportunity as far as different things that I had going. And then he ended up having an opportunity, so I accepted, you know, recruiting gig at mm-hmm. Auburn. So, yeah, so this is my new, this is probably the first time that I'm really grounded in That's a while. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a while, you know, it's been a roller coaster. It's yeah. been a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's cool to, what's cool to see just, just in talking to you and, and hearing your story is, like we talked about yesterday, the spaces. You right. Know, we have prayer requests to God and then he has some space there. He may answer it the next day. It may be 20 years where we're praying and asking God for something that he allows us to have that space in between his answers so that he can so that he can build our faith. Right. And to see coming out of starting every game to being injured to playing some games here and there and to being on national championship teams and and bowl games and SEC championship teams right. having the aspirations post college of not working out to now coming back into athletics uh, with Auburn, it really just kind of validates everything that God's brought you through, you know? Yeah, man. For for it, it, It's amazing in the relationships. I think that's the thing that I love about the sport. There's so many relationships that mm-hmm. I don't met. And, you know, my first introduction to Christ was my mother. After my mom passed, it was a, it was a drop-off. When I got back in high school, when I got back, High school, we used to do FCA, but when I got in college, my brother Chad Williams was um, mm. very instrumental of bringing that faith back into uh, my life. And Coach Malzahn, when he was the OC, he used to always tell me, I can't wait till you be a leader. Like, well, I can't wait till you be a senior. Yeah, you know, because I guess they used to always hear about me and meetings and stuff like that. Just because I literally let, and, and you realize, like, I think it's it's not it's not normal for a lot of people to have a close relationship with the two collegiate coaches that coached them, head coaches, and Gene Chizik and Gus Malzahn that I have. Mm-hmm. And I have a real close relationship with both of them. And and Tracy Rocker, I mean, so many ways, you know. Mm-hmm. But I end up. I, I actually at one point I said no to Rock, like, <laughs> and I wasn't coming. And Chiz had to kind of, you know, piggyback and, and, and get my, kind of shake me and say, hey, what are you doing? You know yeah. what I mean? And and, and and get me back on track. But um, then I end up coming back, coming to Auburn. But just having those uh, relationships mm-hmm. and being able to go through all that to kind of wind back. Kind of, Auburn, Coach Mazan, he always kind of had his hand out, but he was just listening. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I think that, you know, because it was either going to be that or I was going to be like with Fox Sports doing podcasts and all this. But, you know, after having that <clears throat> having that conversation and I was just like, man, this is this is the right thing to do, you know. Um, and me and Coach Malzahn had an honest heart-to-heart of 25 to 30 minutes. And it was just, you knew it, but at the same time, you can know a lot of stuff, and if there's no opportunity, there's no opportunity. So yeah. for him to, three days before they start fall camp, to like, hey, I might have something for you, that's just so, that's just the type of person he is, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's because it's love there. Like, I yeah. really, I'm like, I love you, coach. Like, we in every conversation with love you. 
you know, start every conversation with how you doing. <laughs> it's yeah. never like right to it. It will always start like, how you doing? I'm doing this. Yeah, man, you good. Yeah, how such and such. They good. How to? It's just a unique situation. So, um, and recruiting for, for recruiting for Gus Malzahn is easy because he's a great guy. So, it's I'm not up there a salesman. You know what I mean? I'm up there like doing a, I'm doing my job. I'm gonna be doing my job at a at a high level, but it's when it comes to speaking and explaining why I made my decision and, and things of that nature. And Auburn's so great at sales itself, but when you have somebody like Coach Malzahn who allows you to be you, man, it's, it's huge. That. Huge. Well, let's go back to to your time at Auburn when you were a player. What did you learn about yourself in those two a days in the in the hot summers? Because Alabama is not cool. <laughs> um, to have two a days, you know, in in a right spring practice, and then it's probably ninety degrees by the time you finish up. And now it's like, it's it says eighty two on my watch, but I know it feels like a hundred outside. Yeah, those guys having two a days. What what did <clears throat> what did those those times that you had at Auburn and just being a part of the community and, and the campus and in the athletic complex? What did what did you learn about yourself during those years? I learned a lot. You know, football is a direct correlation of life, so it reveals you who you are. I learned that I'm a fighter. I learned that I couldn't do it by myself. Like, for so long, I kind of just, I handled it. And I had teammates and certain coaches and spiritual leaders as a chat to to guide me the rest of the way. So I learned that, number one, that, that I'm strong, tough. I learned that I can't do it all by myself. And I think college, what it teaches you is when you're going through those tour days that they don't have no more, <laughs> when you're going through those tour days and things of that nature, it teaches you how to fight when you think you can't fight. It, it teaches you how to stand when you think you can't. And it was a place that I could take all my pain and frustrations to. So but I learned a lot here. It's, if I could, I'm not the person I am today or maybe even inspired to be if I don't have all from the ups to the nines, you know. The first time I really loved a, a, a girl, like truly loved somebody, not just dated or whatever, was at Auburn. Uh, the first time I kind of, cause you know, at that, at, by that point I was just spent, I was, my immediate family was dropping like flies, man. Mm-hmm. Both of my grandmothers, mama, granddad, uncles, aunts, like, your mom's sisters and brothers like everybody's just dropping like flies so you kind of lose that sense of family you know people going through different things and, and Auburn brought that sense of family um, so love from teammates relationships from heartbreaks <laughs> from all that you know I learned a lot from Auburn you mentioned Coach Chizik and, and Coach Malzahn what's something that maybe still sticks with you today uh, something that you learned uh, from them, uh, Coach Chizik, dare to dream big, but follow up with details of how you're gonna get there. So you have this big picture of what you want to do. All right, you want to win a national championship. How does that look? Are you practicing like that? Are you going to study hall? Or we have to? Or we're busting your butt because you're missing class? Like, <clears throat> how does that look? Mm-hmm. You want to be a great father? How does that look? So you want to be a great father? You might want to be a great husband. And before you become a great husband, you might want to be a great fiance. Before you become fiance, you might want to be a great boyfriend. <laughs> you know, what I'm before you become a boyfriend, you might want to be a great friend. It's like yeah. it's steps to it 
to it. And he always had this big picture. But before, it, was, it wasn't just a big picture, just a saying. Mm-hmm. It was, this is how we're going to approach this. And we could, we could, you know, kill two birds with one stone type deal. And that's why I learned from Coach Chizik. Coach Malzahn, I was usually influenced in a, pop, in a mighty way. He's big on that. Mm-hmm. Understanding being intact with you in every situation, like understanding you for you. Mm-hmm. Know yourself in every situation possible. So mm-hmm. understand that people are watching. People are watching. And you have influence on people. But at the same time, he taught me to have edge. You don't have to be the loudest in the room. Nah, that ain't mm-hmm. edge. This is talking. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To have edge, hey, you can be the quietest one. Because his attention to detail, his stubbornness, his that makes him a great coach, he got a lot of edge. And in 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 the in the media in the world, you're looking at this guy as this laid back guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's not as loud and this. I'm like, yeah, piss him off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like okay. And I mean, I always say with his offense, I was like, for him to spread it out so much and all that, I'm like, people don't realize he want to run the ball. And it's not that he want to; he go run the ball. And if you're down, if you're down here running team, you gotta you gotta be tough. You gotta have an edge. You gotta have a mentality. With Coach Shiz, it's the big picture, but have the details to follow up. Coach Malzahn, understand where you are. Be in your shoes mm-hmm. in every situation in your life. Understand, don't, don't, don't be over here and wild out and act out. Understand that your influence is huge. Talk about Tracy Rock or Coach Rock mm-hmm. and, and the influence that he's had on you and has been an incredible influence. Um, right. And I think people that see the way that you live your life now, um, you can attribute some of that to his leadership over True. over your life. With him, and then maybe even also with some of the teammates you had on that during your time at Auburn, who were some of those guys that were around you that, that you knew, I need to stay around these people, I need to connect, I need to keep connecting with them as, as, as we leave Auburn. Uh, who were some of those guys that kind of impacted you the most? You know, Coach Rock, the beautiful thing I could say, I got coached by the greatest defensive lineman that ever played here. And if he was the greatest to ever play here, and if he was the first one to win in Labarde and Outland in the SEC, so that means he's probably one of the greatest in the SEC. Mm-hmm. And if he's the greatest in the SEC, one of the greatest in the SEC, he's probably one of the greatest in all of college football. So I had that. That was my introduction to Auburn. I had a guy with a big picture detail as a head coach. Mm-hmm. I had a guy who said, use your influence in a positive way as an OC. <laughs> and I had a guy on the defensive line who, who's literally his pitcher is on the stadium. You're like, yeah. that's the impact that he made as far as my introduction to Auburn. So all three of those guys, of course, you keep in touch with. Then you had Coach Looper. Had Coach Looper. You had uh, Troop, Troop Loop, a lot of people. Uh, there was a lot of love. Coach Travis Williams was the GA for the D-line at the time. Coach Cody Burns was my teammate. <laughs> Barrett Trotter was my teammate. Chip Lindsley was the GA, you know, at the time, his introduction. So even with the guys that they, that they have up there now, I, I saw a lot of people. It's amazing. I saw a lot of people where they started at mm-hmm. and see where I'm at now. And then you know if you you can kind of see if people change or not. So it's still a good, those people are still the same. But other than Rock, Chiz, Gus, you have that I knew that when Rodney Garner came in, somebody that came from that Pat Dye system, mm-hmm. that you wanted to stay in contact with him because he put so many in the NFL. And I actually, if I would have went to Georgia, I would have been coached by Coach Garner. 
because that was, you know, and I, I remember Coach Gordon through the recruitment and, and everything. So he's a guy that you, you, you keep in contact with. My teammates from Ryan Smith, we talk all the time. Chris Davis, you know, we talk when he pick up the phone. <laughs> a little shade. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and I keep in touch, though. I keep in touch with, I was just talking to, on social media with Duke Williams the other day. From Nick Marshall to Peyton Barber, Peyton Barber moms send me stuff. Uh, it really is a fan. I mean, it, it really is. So I, I talk, I, mean, I keep yeah. up with, because when I was here, man, when I came in, you know, I came in with the Coach Rock said he was recruiting me different because I was the bell cow. And I didn't put on jerseys. And no disrespect to the people that does it, I just didn't think I earned it. So mm-hmm. I didn't do all that stuff. I didn't get into all that. I was just kind of guy like came here, talked, saw the school, brought my family. Mm-hmm. They kind of see what they thought. And I led, but since I, since I walked in, I, I've been leading. You know, my whole four years was, even though I was running away from it, didn't know what I was doing. By the time my junior, senior year, stuff like that came around, you know, I felt like I led. But, it, you know, it's just a big influence of a, of a real family base from even my little bros, Gabe and Angelo and, and Carl Lawson. And mm-hmm. I just talk to Carl. I always talk to Carl. Uh, Deborah Lawrence, Montrevis Adams, D Ford. I haven't seen D Ford in a minute. Nosa Igwe, one of my mm-hmm. best boys. And then the crew I even played with <laughs> my last year was Deshaun Davis and, and Andrew Williams and Dante Russell. You know yeah. what I mean? So just to see them involved. And so it's just amazing. I never really left. I never really left. The only thing I didn't do at Auburn, I never walked across the field and shook the captain's hand. I never did that when I was playing. Everything. But the word failure is a strong word. Uh, a lot of people die by that word. A lot of people give up by that word. Um, and in athletics, failure can mean one thing. In life, failure can mean one thing. But what does it mean to you? Failure is the thing that nobody wants, but everybody has the experience to get to where they want to be. That's what failure is to me. I don't even look at it as I failed. I look at it as, well, I had to go through this to get to where I want to be. It's like my man, my close friend, um, Sharif Floyd. Sharif always say, we all, we talked about this, he viewed failure as, well, I don't have this, so I gotta work to get this. It pushed me to a whole nother. And for me, um, I just feel like you never really, the only how you fail is you give up and you just stop trying. That's when you have Coming to it, when you make a complete stop and no effort, that's when you fail. But failures to me, I think is, and the way I look at it is so necessary because if you're a person of principle, you're going to go after some things and you're going to be stubborn mm-hmm. and you're going to have to get knocked down. Like you just not going to listen. You're going to have to go through it your way and you find out it ain't, it ain't your way and then it'll be able to put you on another, another path been the hardest thing so far for you uh, since since graduating from Auburn and, and kind of trying to find yourself? I think the hardest thing was just the idea of it was more scary that since I used football as a venting session, that was gone. Where was I going to take some of this anger and frustration? You kind of, at first, you kind of go through the, this depression stage mm-hmm. of, you know, identity. But I think, you know... I've been trying different things and trying to 
do different things. Kind of always had an answer here in Auburn that mm-hmm. I necessarily didn't want to hear. Um, I guess I think the toughest part probably since graduating from school has been you having this idea in your mind where you see yourself and what you're gonna what you're gonna be doing, and it's just totally different, you know, pathway that you're on. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think for me when I graduated, I was more scared than anything because not really after I graduated, it was more arena ball when my my body just went holding up, and I was just I remember breaking down crying, just not knowing like what was what was gonna what was gonna be. Um, what was gonna go on? You know what I'm saying? What was gonna be the next step? How I was gonna be able to? Uh, how I was gonna be able to block out the pain and frustration and you know? But it forced me to talk about it mm-hmm. you know, more. Yeah. We talked a little bit about uh, your conversation with Malzahn. As of the recording of this podcast, um, this isn't official news, but by the time it goes live, uh, it will be official news. Right. Um, so, thanks for sharing that with me. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but tell us a little bit about what you're up to now. Well, right now I've been doing a lot of, um, lately I've been doing a lot of like speaking and and going around and talking to kids, mentoring. I used to do work, work with Youth for Christ and doing some stuff in the juvenile system and, and all that. But um, as of right now, what I'm doing, getting ready for the new <laughs> the new gig up yeah. with Auburn. And um, I think the big, thing I, the, the, the big thing that I'll be doing with that new gig, not only just recruiting and everything, but on a personal level, I'll be um, uh, start to drop weight, start, start kind of have that idea. It's that kind of that psychic that it's over. It's uh-huh. kind of it, we already know it's over. It ain't like I've been chasing it the last two years, but it really like comes into the, a complete closure of my football. The playing side. Yeah, the, yeah. the complete closure now is dropping weight and dealing with and being able to stay active, not using the gym as venting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as I did on the football field, but being able to talk about things that I'm going through, and at the same time, we'll work it out. We'll yeah, work out. that's awesome, I and mean, that's going to give you a chance to, you know, be in the weight rooms and lunch breaks, or, right? You know, after after work, you know, having access to all that stuff and being able to, you know, take care of yourself. And uh, Pastor Brandon was on the podcast. You know, he talked about one of one of the biggest things for a leader um, is to take care of take care of your body. True. No, we're called by God to that our bodies are holy temp are our temples, and we're supposed to take care of them. And I could obviously do a better job on my end. My three year old basically told me that last night. Um, but you know, being able to to have that influence and being able to have the access to the you know to the equipment to and the information and the nutrition and the dietitians and you know just all the people that are surrounded in the program to be able. Right. To, you know, to, to access that and just to help, you know, stay healthy and to keep your body strong and your mind strong and your heart strong and to use that to help with your leadership and with the young guys coming in, um, that's important. Yeah, you know, I just I just think that, you know, it's just a wonderful platform to have, you know what I'm saying, to be able to have for Auburn. Um, I just think it's, a, it's an amazing platform. What are some of the things that, that you find inspiration in? Um, books, podcasts, uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you, on your free time that you try to fill yourself with? Man, I'm like, YouTube, music, podcasts, books. I got three books I'm going to read by the end of this year, finally free. Mm-hmm. It's about a book about a guy who was, who was addicted to pornography, okay. sex that I have experienced in my life. And he's 
using Jesus as far as the, the reason, the mindset that we have to have to be finally free and just to have a different concept of women. Like, you know, it, mm -hmm. it makes you change your whole perspective because you want a wife, you don't want to, you know what I'm saying? You want yeah. a wife. So, and then um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think it's one of the greatest financial, you know, books that's out there because <clears throat> he's just telling a story about more of wealth than it is rich. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, sustain, you know, financial. I, I I even think right now, because of my cousin, you know, Quintez, as far as the, the financial literacy and the, 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 the book smarts of like, okay, how do you come financially wealthy? You know, I, I'm making out my budget now and saying, all right, after I pay bills, when I'm, when I'm, how, what do I, what the income that I have uh, after that, you know, mm -hmm. the, the importance of it, you know, mm -hmm. what is my net profit, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. how much I got to pay out to be financially free, Yeah, you know, and you're being able to add that into wealth. And then the third one is a purpose driven, driven life. Now, Marcus Davis has been telling me about this book for maybe a year, okay. all right? And I was on Instagram, and I saw Justin Garrett. Uh, he was at the pool, and he had the perfect-driven life, like, sit down on his leg. And I remember looking at the book, and I was like, perfect-driven life. Marcus. And I looked it up, and it was Rick Warren. And I didn't realize. I was like, who is Rick Warren? Now? Well, he's this big-time pastor and speaker and yeah. writer. And, and so I did the audio of The Perfect Driven Life. The, like the 14 minutes like introduction audio and I was like when I heard that after you shot that he had you write it down I wasn't going to listen to the audio no more and I said I'm going to just go get the book yeah yeah. I think it's a certain um, intimacy can, yeah when you can underline and highlight certain things yeah you. I think you have a certain intimate you know you can yeah. become more intimate with the book yeah. itself and those words and pages you know, yeah well I'm not going to hold you to this next question um, <laughs> but with my company, Orbit Media, I mean, there's all kinds of things that may happen in the future. I'm just going to let God lead me. There you go. We'll see what happens. But if you were to write a book, um, and I'd be happy to help you publish it. Yeah. Uh, when Orbit Media becomes a publishing company. <laughs> um, if, if you were to write a book about the, your journey uh, of life, what would that title be? I'm still here. I'm still here. Through trials and tribulations, Depression, suicidal thoughts, young, and a, and a host of other things that happen that I still kind of struggle to talk about. Not thinking you're going to make it. Not thinking you're smart. Not thinking about degrees and all that. And to be able to be 26, and the only thought was if I could just make it past 18, and I think I had a long life. Like, to have that thought, that concept when you're six or seven years old, if I could make it 18, I'd be straight. I'm still here. And it's like my my goal is, my mom passed when she was 40. And in some crazy way, I'm like, well, I don't know how long I got. Like a lot of people are like, yo, hey, man, you know, you get Social Security when you're 65. And I'm like, my mom passed at 40, bro. Like, you know, like, she, yeah. and she went through a lot of stuff by the time she got to 40. And I'm like, my best birthday is going to be 41. Hmm. Build a sense of picking up and keep moving. So I'm still here. 
through the crying times, through the late nights, through through going out and inspiring a whole group of 500 people and coming back miserable. You know, that's like my biggest fear, is to inspire the world and, and come home miserable. And, um, but I'm still here. I'm here. Guys just started fall camp, put on pads yesterday for the first time. You got a bunch of kids that are in high school that are getting ready to start their senior seasons or maybe their junior seasons. And, you know, they're looking at trying to get a college scholarship or walk onto a, a college football team. Yeah. And you've got seniors at, at Auburn and other colleges that are looking maybe to that next step, you know, going professional. What's some advice that you would give some of those young men as they're, as they're kind of approaching these different milestones in their life? Have a vision of where you see yourself. Number one, have a why of why mm-hmm. you do it. Have a vision of where you see yourself mm-hmm. four years from now and have details of how you're going to get to that vision. Number two, understand that you're, you have influence on people. So you have to use it in a positive. Be, as the old folks say, be in your shoes at all times. And understand to have some of the best performance that you ever want to have you have to love the game you have to love the process everything that comes with it mm. love it and go be great like you could do it just go be great take it one day at a time one, just literally one that one mean at a time one day at a time mm-hmm. one week at a time it's like it's just you just those small deposits that you put in each and every day and when you do extra you don't have to be out there for an hour extra you know what I mean? I used to do, sometimes, I say, hey, man, I'm going to get me an extra 15 to 25 get offs. By the end of the week, that's 100. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people see the big picture and they see the big goal and they they, don't, they fail to break it down. Yeah. And they think it's impossible. Nothing impossible. And, and after all that, have a, have a understanding that you're made in the image of him. And if you're made in the image of God Almighty, you can move mountains, man. Mm. You can move mountains. So that would be my advice to them. Hey, go do it. And do it with swag and pride. And know you belong. At the end of your life, when you look back on on your family, the community that you're involved in, your your faith family, your uh, professional family, your uh, just relational family, uh, the kids that you will be recruiting, the, the kids that you've been in contact with, the people that you've grown up with, the people that have been around you for your entire life. Right. When you look back on your life, at the end of your life, when you're when you're getting ready to pass this pass out of this world to meet your father in heaven, what do you want them to remember Jeffrey Whitaker by? And what's that legacy look like? I want people to remember my legacy as he loved hard, he loved strong, and he had a effect on everybody he came across to. Everybody felt important. And by being around them, he forced you to understand your importance and hope to inspire them just as an individual to go love on somebody else. Well, man, I appreciate your time, man. Um, appreciate it. It's, it's, been, it's been good for my soul. It's been good for my, uh, for my mind these last couple of days hanging out with you and, and talking yeah. to you and getting to know you more and not just, you know, seeing you play a sport, but you yeah. know, get to get to connect relationally with you. And I'm excited. Um, 
I'm excited where our relationship's going to go and just, you know, just checking in on each other and, yeah. you know, just uh, seeing what you're up to. And, I'm here. Yeah, you're here. I'm here. So, you're yeah. here for the long haul. Yeah. You, just, you just signed on the dotted line. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Thanks for keeping yeah. me around. Um, yeah, man. So, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to even not only just uh, the brotherhood, you know, but, you know, you graduate from Auburn just like I graduated yep. from Auburn. Man. That's a brotherhood that comes with yep. that. Not only it's from family. that. we got to yeah, stick together. got to stick together from everything, man. I believe we're going to be able to collab and do some stuff together. Bro. I'm excited. Yeah, very, very much. I, like I, I just want to tell you, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I don't take it lightly. And just continue to understand that everybody's story matters. And somebody's story might be the story that'll be the breakthrough like you say 10 years from now as you, you sent it display before us mm-hmm. a lot of this the, the YouTube hits with 3 million and all that man they created that video 15 minutes ago I yeah. mean 15 years ago Yeah, you know and you start to realize that you know but people are paying attention and people want content yeah. and since the world's gonna put out so much crazy and negative why not go with the positive love always wins Hey, this is your host, Tony Oravet of the Leadership Legacy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this past episode. It would mean the world to me if you would go and rate this podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. Show notes and information on today's guest are on leadershiplegacy.show. 